The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So are we in John chapter 9? I'm assuming if you were, you'd be standing up because we stand for the reading of God's Word here. <laughs> as you're doing that, let me, let me lay the groundwork so you know this begins with the word therefore in verse 8. So I want to give the background. Remember, Jesus, it's a Sabbath. Jesus has walked out of the temple. They, uh, they go by a blind man. It's been blind since birth. And his disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus is neither. This is so that the the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus picks up some dirt, spits in it, makes a mud patty, puts it on the guy's eye, and declares himself to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he tells this guy to go wash at the pool of Siloam, which is approximately 2.5 miles away, and a decline returning up from there is a 28-story climb from the Temple Mount down to the pool of Siloam. Then, so it's verse 7, so he went away, the blind man, washed and came back seeing. Now here we are, verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others, no, but it just looks like him but is like him is what it says. And he kept saying, I, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay or mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. I'm going to read the whole chapter. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees were also then asking him again how he received his sight. And, they, and he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I washed, I see. Notice this guy as he shares this four times. Each time it gets briefer every time he shares that story. No, I've got to find my spot again. 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this is not from God because he, he, Jesus, does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe him that he was been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who received his sight. And they questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And the parents answered him and said, uh, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind. But now he sees, how he sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. 
He will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, that person, he, would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, the parents were saying, ask, or, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said to them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples too, do you? Sarcasm, don't you love it? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's come from. Then the man, that is the one who was blind, answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing that you don't know where he came from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. This is the blind man saying this. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not of God or from God, could he, do, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and you are teaching us? So they put him out. They threw him out. Jesus heard, were, heard what they, that they had put him out, and finding him. Notice Jesus goes, goes to find him once he figures he's thrown out. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. And he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believed. I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. You may be seated. Okay. So the fellow has gone to the pool, hiked all the way up, back up the hill today. That's about, I don't know, I didn't measure it out. But it's quite a long ways. I just know the. I just looked up the elevation difference between the Pool of Siloam and the Temple Mount. Okay, about 28 stories, 280 feet. That's the elevation you have to go. By the way, in 2004, for years they've thought where the Pool of Siloam is as you come out of the the aqueduct of of Hezekiah in Jerusalem. You can go under. How many you know that you can go under Jerusalem and follow the water line that he put into there when Sennacherib was attacking, and you come out the one end. But there was this Byzantine church there. And in 2004, um, the city of Jerusalem was, was uh, dealing with a sewage line break. 
And in the old city, whenever you dig anywhere, you have to bring an archaeologist with you. They're digging along with their backhoes, and they hear scrape, scrape. Uh, archaeologists stop, that's not dirt. And they start uncovering these steps. And these steps are identical to the ones they found over an orphal that goes up to the Temple Mount. They know they're from the first century. And they dig, and, and uh, they find about 50 meters from where that Byzantine church was, that traditional site for centuries, they find the Pool of Siloam. Okay, you can go there today, you can look it up online. So it's easy to tell the elevation difference. And I think that's important, okay? So this guy has returned from this trip. His neighbors, now he's returned to his neighborhood, not necessarily the Temple Mount, to his neighborhood. And those who previously saw him as a beggar, did you notice that? Not, not those who saw him beg. Not what he was doing. They saw him as a beggar. They identified him as a guy. That, that's what he is. He is a beggar. He has no source, no way to take care of himself financially, to take care of his needs. Okay, He used to rely on others to do this. But you know, I, I'm not sure it's him then. Because the guy I know, we'll call him Joe. The Joe I know, Joe, is a beggar. That's what he is. That's how we know him. And we're not going to let him get out of that box. If I could say it like that. Uh, and some goes, yeah, I, I do think it's him. Other parents, nope, 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 nope. I won't accept it. I think it's somebody who just looks like him. It's his twin brother. He's been cloned. I don't know. They really do say that. No, someone looked like him. And he kept saying, so he had to say it over and over, no, I, I'm him, I, I'm the one, compared to that other guy that used to sing that song, I'm not the one, he's saying, I know it's a different generation, okay, I am, I'm the guy, no, really, the same guy, that, no, no, really, when you went and saw me begging by the, that's me, I don't, I don't know, I just can't see it, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I can't do that, okay, if it's you then, verse 10, um, how were your eyes opened? They're wanting to know what literally happened, what took place. Tell us the story of this transformation. Because in his neighborhood, they weren't necessarily there by somewhere near the temple when Jesus had walked out of there and was healed this guy. Tell, tell us what happened. And they answer him, says, the man who was called Jesus, made clay, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and received my sight. We talked about that a little bit last week. Then they say, well, where is he? Oh, oh really? really? Well, prove it. You say this guy came along. Where is this guy? That's what they're asking. Okay, or if he did, where is the guy? I don't know. I, I do find it intriguing throughout this chapter, the word for no, there's there's a couple different words for the word know in Greek, but the one here in its root form means to know by seeing. I, I do find that a bit ironic. He could have used the word gnosko, which is, is to learn, to grow, to grow in knowledge, that kind of thing. Okay? And like I said, he shares this story four times. Each time it gets a little more brief. But, but did you notice he missed, he skipped something in the story here? Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. What did he miss? What did he skip? He spit 
in the dirt to make the clay to put it in my eyes. Okay, he, he skipped that part of it. Don't ask me why. Partially because there was an actually a law written in the rabbinical stuff. Herminides, I forget the guy's name that actually did it, that, that you, you, you couldn't use your spit anyway on the Sabbath. Maybe that's the reason. Okay. <clears throat> his, sto- his story's family. He did. He said, I did. I'm healed. He, he did. He said, so I did. I'm healed. That, that's pretty basic it. Okay. <clears throat> the other thing I want you to know, when he, this is the first instance of it in the text. Where is he? I don't know. Again, that no word's used 11 times in this parochopy. It's implied to others for a total, right, of 13 times. I didn't know if you could do the math or not, okay? 11 and 2. 13 times. I, I don't think the Holy Spirit puts that in there, and particularly this form, idos, the, the word for no, the Greek word for no here. Accidentally, he, I, I don't think he's trying to fill up pages. And sometimes, some of these people, what they say they know, true. Sometimes what they say they know, not true. Sometimes what they claim not to know is a lie. You'll see that. Then it tells us something odd in verse 13. They, that is his neighbors, brought him to the Pharisees. I'm not the brightest fellow, but I'll ask a question. What question will I ask? Uh, Yeah, why? why? Why are your neighbors taking... You know what I'm saying? Uh, it could be, and, and, and it might be so, that they're looking for a theological explanation. Because they know the Pharisees have already said, this guy's demon-possessed, Jesus, <clears throat> that he's not of God, and that if anybody <clears throat> claims him to be the Christ, they get kicked out of the synagogue. If that's true, explain to us how this happened. Okay? Um... And it could be because he did it on the Sabbath because it actually says that there in the text that they brought the man to the Pharisees who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day. That, that John wants us to know it has something to do with that. So wait, wait a minute. I know what you guys say what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. You got to tell me about this. You got, does this work? How does this happen when it would be done in a way that would be breaking all your rules? So, those Pharisees ask him the same thing, how he received his sight. Give me the facts. They're here to investigate. All right, all right, you've been brought to us. Here's the story. Is it true? Tell us what, they're looking just at the facts, supposedly. Just an intellectual approach, like, because in those days you would bring a court case before the Pharisees, before their leaders, eventually it could go to the Sanhedrin, all right? Um, and so think of it like that. Think of it as a court case. Here's what is claimed. Here are the witnesses. Let's look at it. So they interview the fellow. So the man retells those events again. He applied clay to my eyes. I washed, I see. That, that, that's pretty brief. And my wife thought the way I share things is brief. <laughs> That's it? What, what exactly did they say? She always asked me that. All right? Um, but he's retelling the events. And some of the Pharisees... Now, all this is said, he's just said, 
I was blind, I washed, I see. More, I mean, he may have given some more details. Some of the Pharisees said, this is not from God. Um, excuse me, I thought the verdicts held at the end of all, present all the evidence, right? Yeah. Unless they just redact a bunch of it, but that's another story. They've already passed verdict, and it's just this guy says this. They'd already accused him of being demon-possessed. And who wants to go back on what they said? People have a hard time admitting they were mistaken or just flat-out lied the time before. Okay? And that's in chapter 8, 52, and verse 48 as well. And in chapter 10, they do it again. They actually accuse him of being insane later, Jesus of being insane. How do they know? That's the implication. This man is not from God because... We know this because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now remember, previously in chapter 5, um, he heals another fellow on the Sabbath by a different pool, which is actually, uh, I'm going to turn around, okay? So here's the Temple Mount, here's the pool of Siloam. Behind where the Temple Mount, there was another pool, the Bethsaida there. And remember, he walks in, and the lame man, and he heals the guy, tells him to pick up his mat and go home. It was on the Sabbath. Okay? And they get all mad at him for it um, and actually want to stone him later because of what he says. Um, but really, Jesus sort of handles that whole part about the healing on the Sabbath. In the sense, he, he uses that analogy. Wait a minute, if the eighth day comes for a child, male child to be circumcised, will you not circumcise him on that day if it's a Sabbath? If you're doing this to just a part of a person, what's wrong with healing a whole person on the Sabbath? Okay? He never really addresses him telling the guy to pick up his mat. Because those are dumb little rules made up by the Pharisees that aren't part of Scripture. So why even bother with that? Okay? So here, what I'm assuming they're arguing most about is not the healing, is the fact that he asked the guy to walk all the way down to that pool, wash, not supposed to do that either. Now this is a very large pool. It's where you would sacrimonially cleanse yourself before you went up to the temple. It's where during the Feast of Tabernacles, just previous to this in chapter 8, where the priest would go down and get these golden things of water and come up and pour them on the altar. All right? But they said he did not keep, he does not keep the Sabbath. Anybody know what a keep is? In the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, medieval, what's a keep? Yeah, yeah, it's a guard place. This word to keep means to guard. They're accusing Jesus of not guarding, protecting, upholding, in a sense, the Sabbath. In the sense that you're telling other people to break it. And we can put up with you. I mean, that's your problem. Because, you, you know, you're, you're a demon anyway. But now you're telling other people. So they have a conclusion before this, well... The investigation, I'll put it that way, the, the case has been barely started and they've made their conclusion, okay? But other Pharisees says, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, we, we know sinners can't heal people. I'll give it. How can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? Okay, wait a minute. If he is breaking the Sabbath and telling others to do it, he's a sinner, 
and we know, there's that word again, okay? They, they use it in a certain, like it's certain, that blind or sinners can't do miracles. All right? And then it says this, and there was a division among them. There's a theological problem. One side says he's a sinner because he breaks this rule. And the other says, wait, wait, if he broke that rule, he'd be a sinner, and he can't do this. So if he did this, uh... many people want to argue, um, I know it's how I put that, argue that, that you, know, you don't talk theology because it creates division. Everywhere Jesus did, he created division. He even says that father against son, mother against daughter, and that's what's going to happen. Now, this theological problem is be because some people had the wrong theology. I'm going to be honest. And, and I think that is the issue when many theological issues, when I, when I might look at a conference of some of the guys I, I like to listen to, and they're all sitting up there on this this thing taking questions. I look around and the, one th- believes in infant baptism, one believes in adult baptism. One believes in premillennialism, the other one all millennialism. Okay, these guys. And they're all doing just fine. They get up there and talk. They even joke about their differences. Okay? B- but they're there. They know that core theology's sound. These guys, though, wait a minute. They're a stickler on something in particular. That is the way you keep the Sabbath. You have to keep it according to what we say how it's kept. How many miles you can walk. Whether you can spit on that day or not. Okay? All kinds of things like that. And that creates this division. Well, it's, we've already seen this back in chapter 7. After Jesus feeds the multitude and comes back to Bethsaida. Wait a minute. I think he's this. Well, you think he's that. No, I think he's just a man. No, I think he's a prophet. Oh, I think he's the Messiah. And that says, and there was division among them over who Jesus is. I think that's the issue here. Who Jesus is. And I would suggest to you that's the dividing line between what we would call orthodox Christianity, and others who claim to be Christians. You know, that orthodox Christianity says one thing, then that other group says he's Lucifer's brother. And he came to being out of physical relations between Mother God and Father God, who lived on a planet called Caleb, or near that planet called Caleb. I'm sorry, who Jesus is matters. It's, we're not the same. You don't believe in the same God, because who Jesus is matters. Okay, So they deflect the argument. Let's ask the guy who was blind. What does he think? Don't buy that. Don't buy that. The unbelieving world will ask you, what do you think is the answer? They won't want to hear it. Okay? They, they want to act like they're open-minded until you share yours. So they asked the guy. He said, he's a prophet. Now they're asking a guy that's never been in the temple, never been in the synagogue. Why? Because he was blind, therefore he must be a sinner, an unrepentant one. That is how this whole chapter started. 
he would have never been allowed in the temple or the synagogue. The guy that's never been to church, let's ask him what he thinks. He's a prophet. Watch this, though. I think the part that's sort of funny is, so they asked this guy, since he opened your eyes. You know they don't believe that? They play him. Well, since he opened your eyes, who do you say he is? It, it says in verse 2, they don't believe him. Okay? Verse 18a. So the Jews then did not believe it of him. His whole story, the idea that he's a prophet, but what they didn't believe, that he had been blind and received his sight. We think the whole story's just made up. I know when you say, this is how you were before an encounter Christ, and this is how you are after, I don't believe it. I got you to understand, this isn't the only witness. Who brought him to the Pharisees? His neighbors. Hey, man, we know him as the bacon guy. Look at him. I mean, he was a guy blind to bacon, and we're bringing him to you. What happened here? So it's not just the man's testimony. It is their testimony. And these guys aren't going to believe it because unbelief is unbending. There's a big fancy word for that, but I'll leave that out. Then it says until. So they're, they're I'm sorry. I know you got the neighbors telling me you were the guy. You're telling me the guy. You know what? I don't even believe you were blind to start with. Until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. That's the last half of verse 18. Oh, new evidence, right? And, and you know this in you American courts, that even if you have a judgment, if there's new evidence, you can appeal. You, okay, so there's new evidence. So he questions the parents. Okay, they don't believe he was ever born blind, so they bring the parents in. Is this your son who was born blind? Then, or if so, how does he see? Is this your son born blind? If he is, you see him now. The parents answered him, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. They're confident they know that. I could imagine they're horrible parents, so you'll see why in a minute. So the two things they do know, yep, 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 that, that's the kid we raised. That's sure enough, that's him. Okay, yep, yep, and the day he, he, he came into this world, he, he was blind. Those things I know, I, no question on those. But what we don't know, okay, is how or who. That's what they're saying. They don't know how he came to see or who opened his eyes? They're lying. They're throwing their own son under the bus. Because the next verse tells us they're lying. They say this, well, talk to him. He, he's of age. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. He doesn't have to be concerned about being thrown out of the synagogue because he's never been in it. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.